It would be really nice if one day I figured out how to use all the technology. I hope it is sooner than later. Probably not. Pro probably not. <laughs> Hey neighbors, I'm Carson Costa here with my co-host Nicole Bennett, and you're listening to The Next Town Over. This is part two of our interview with Dave Ertle and Nancy Peterson. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I encourage you to do so. There's a lot of great stories and advice in there, and we reference a lot of it in this episode. All right, without further ado, here's the rest of our interview with Dave Ertle and Nancy Peterson. this would be a great opportunity to give a little PSA of a what to do when there are cyclists on the road. Well, if you, if you run across, we do this a lot. So if we run across touring cyclists and it's possible, you know, buy them a cup of coffee or, you know, shot them a beer um, because those little acts, we had a, we had a woman in uh, Washington on the Forks Peninsula. We were, we were riding from Alaska to Argentina. Mm -hmm. We we chatted with this woman in the cafe a little bit. We ordered our breakfast and, and ate it and it was great. And then we went to pay. She'd already left and she bought our breakfast for us. And Aww. we don't know. We didn't know. We never got her name. We never got, um, mm -hmm. we don't know who she is. We don't know, you know where she lives. We couldn't thank her. She was gone. Um, but boy, all day you're just smiling. It's just a little act of kindness um, goes a long way. If you can interact with the person and, and they know, that's great. But it's also okay to do it anonymously. Yeah. Um, but even even just if if you pass them on the road, you know, obviously, you know, give them enough room. Um, be 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 kind if they can't. You know, if they can't get all the way over, because it's often dangerous on the road to get too far over to the right or left, whichever side you're on. Right. Um, you know, just be cautious and be be kind to people. Don't I mean it's not going to take but a few, not even a minute probably of your time to give them a bit of extra space, yeah. and don't go around them when other cars are coming. Just give them some space, and even little things like give them a thumbs up. You know, give them a hug yeah. when you go by to give them some encouragement. It makes a big difference, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I know um, the recycling tours I've done with my parents. There, especially when I was a kid, um, and there were. A lot of times like large trucks or something not not uh transport trucks but just like pickup trucks that would frequently like go by us at like 60 miles per hour without getting over at all yeah it's so scary it is so yeah. scary yeah um, and it only takes them it only takes a, really literally seconds of someone's day yeah to just give a little bit more room slow down a little bit yeah it's not going to matter and it makes a huge difference to the other person just it's just little things of kindness that cyclist or not you could do to someone it make it will make a huge difference in their day yeah absolutely i was wondering also about some of your closest calls like i know in one of your posts on australia you mentioned that you were riding um on the road and uh, i think it was dave didn't see the brown snake right away and it like struck at you as you were passing <laughs> but it didn't bite you <laughs> that's right that's not a close call. Close call means they actually touched your skin. Um, <laughs> okay. So um, have you had many close calls? Actually, I think we've been pretty lucky. Um, yeah. but, you know, I don't think, for example, we haven't had any damage from animals, I don't think. Well, no. I guess we had the Tasmanian tiger who ate, or not Tasmanian devil who ate our bag, but. Yeah. yeah <laughs> we, we, had... we saw, we saw, I think something like 40 bears up north. 
Oh wow! And the first the first one was stunningly scary, but completely benign. It was just on the side of the road on the Alcan, where it's about well, maybe maybe ten feet wide, um, and it was on one edge, and we were on the other edge, gripping our bear spray, hoping to get by it. But all it really wanted to do was eat. That was probably this. I for me that was we were just starting out. But that was part of the scariest part of the trip, actually. That all those bears. I was just petrified that we were going to get attacked by a bear. <laughs> and, you know, so from an animal standpoint, I think most animals are just like most people just trying to get on with life and really don't want to eat you, sting you, bite you. Yeah. And you guys you. have seen a lot of different animals over the the years in your travels. Um, yeah. Most, of, yeah, most of them see you and run, you know, yeah. it's really. We, yeah. did, we did have, but that was funny because we did, I've forgotten, forgotten about that. We, we did a, a big tour of Tasmania actually just, after the pandemic hit, and then when they finally re released them, we could actually cross state borders in Australia. We went and did down to Tasmania and did a big loop of the island. And we stayed at this place called Mariah Island. Well, they used it as a Tasmanian devil sanctuary because Tasmanian devils, devils have a mouse cancer decimating population. So they tried to isolate some of them so they could regrow, re repopulate them. But as a, as a result, there's a lot of devils on this island and there's people who come camp there. And we weren't really even thinking about about being around and, and we were sleeping at night and we had our bags in the vestibule of our tent. And um, sure enough, this bloody Tasmanian devil came in and grabbed one of our bags oh, um, and dragged it out. And he was coming back to get a pannier actually. He was dragging a pannier out. He had a shopping list. <laughs> oh my I mean, these, these animals are not very big, but they are powerful and you know, they have, yeah, big jaw, you know, everything. And uh, and the pan the I, I got the pannier from him. I grabbed the pannier at least. I'm not even thinking. I'm sticking my hand out there just, <laughs> to fight this animal for your thing. Yeah, but then yeah. he the bag he dragged out was the bag with all of our rain gear in it. Oh no. we needed that. We needed that rain <laughs> yeah, gear. It just so happened he, he he drug it a long ways away to a bush, long a long ways from the tent. But he'd already semi opened it. He'd, he'd sliced the bag open. And, oh I, and I, I shined my flashlight just by chance and hit the reflective type tape on one of our raincoats. Yeah. And I just saw, if I hadn't seen that, that bag would have been gone because we never would have found it. You yeah, know, he like, was under a tree, like he dragged it under a tree. Under this bush, I had to crawl under there. <laughs> it, was just, it was wild. It was like, oh my it. gosh. You guys were, you were like, that's not for you. Yes. Well, and it's hard to be mad at an, at an endangered species, right? Yes. Uh, what animals have you seen that you were like most excited about? I, I think um, in, in, in Tasmania, I mean, I'll go back to that trip again, that it's, there's so many kangaroos and wallabies and patamelons, which is a little small kangaroo, mm -hmm. but, but the wombats have got to be the greatest animal in the entire world. <laughs> yeah. um, we saw out by the ferry, we saw a mama wombat with her uh, baby wombat um, following her around. And then they went into their hole eventually. And there was no one else around the ferry. And we watched yeah. them kind of wander around and sniff around. And oh my gosh, if you get a chance, Google wombat um, baby on the <laughs> internet and, and you, you'll be stuck there for hours because the. <laughs> They are so they're, really cute. They're, they're so cute, and you just can't even believe this animal exists. Yeah. You know, it's it's almost this you know the stuff of fairy tales. Oh, actually, the funny I think for me the funniest memory of an animal was way back on our our honeymoon trip when we rode across the U.S. We were coming down into or on our way to Jackson Hole or something, something, oh, oh, and yeah, we were yeah. riding along. We we're on a tandem then. And there was, we were kind of in bushland somewhere. Just near yeah. the Wyoming border. So we were riding along and Dave goes, oh, look, look, there's a horse crossing the road. And then he goes, what? I'm not 
is that a horse? Oh, what is that? And we realized it was a moose. It was oh. huge. It was this huge, wow. huge, huge moose just rambling across the road. And, and, we, and we were both just gobsmacked by it. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you see that any moose when you were in Alaska? Actually, we saw only one maybe running away. We didn't actually see very many. A lot of people do see them up there, but we didn't. No, they were. I was surprised too when I would on my Alaska trip. I spent like a month up there and I didn't see any. And then on my last day, I got lost on this highway through the middle of Alaska. Um, and all of a sudden there were like 50 moose. Oh, <laughs> I wow. just saw them everywhere and they were standing right on the highway. And I was like, oh, this is where they all hang out. Wow, um, there's cute. no gas station anywhere to be found, but plenty of moose. Um, <laughs> wow, well, yeah, we, we can. We I, I don't actually have a picture of a moose from, yeah. from our time in yeah. Alaska yeah, or Canada. We, really, yeah. we did see that. We saw maybe a couple, but they were just, they were running off so you couldn't get a picture of them or anything. Yeah. 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 So everyone said, everyone said, Maybe that's good because they can be quite dangerous, like if they have babies around. It's yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty heard, and they're yeah. big animals. For, yeah, big. Yeah, and speaking of animals, I I saw it. it seems like that kangaroos are pretty obnoxiously common in Australia. Do you think people yeah. think of them there like the way that we think of like deer in Nevada? Yeah. Yeah. Certainly out in the bush or away from the cities. If you go into right. Sydney or Melbourne and you go to the you go to the Gold Coast or the most of the time you won't see any because they don't hang out in cities. Yeah. I know that's a shocker. Um, but there's, but they're out, all over out. Yeah. Out in the country, out in the bush, boy, you'll see them everywhere. And it's, it is fun. I mean, they are such weird animals. Yeah. 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 I know. Yeah. I think it's interesting that, um, you know, this animal that we think of as being so exotic is, you know, so mm -hmm. common there. And I, yeah. you know, I have a couple yeah. Australian friends that are like, oh, my God, they're so annoying. Were there any places that you've been that you were surprised by how similar they were? Like really places that people would think were very different, but that actually turned out to be really alike. I, I read that question earlier when you when we looked at what we were going to be talking about. And I tell you, I couldn't really think of anything. The only thing that drew me back to it was that people are the same. Right. You know, they might look different. They might dress different. They might sound different. But they're really all just trying to get by. I think... Um, the other thing that's that's not the same, except for it was the same in Latin America, was food. I mean, when you travel, a lot of times we travel because we want to experience the culture. And one of the best ways to experience culture is through food, what people right. eat, right? Um, so you eat all the local foods. Try to stay away from the um, Kentucky Fried Chickens when you go to mm -hmm. India. You, they are there, and you can eat at them, but eat, eat the curries, right? In Latin America, that isn't the case. I think Latin America, the food almost from Mexico south, now I'm sure the there's many Latinos listening to this who will say, you're crazy, but it almost <laughs> was the same from Mexico to Argentina. I don't know about Mexico. I would say maybe maybe more from after. Certainly Central America, South, yeah. Or maybe maybe South America. Yeah, yeah, maybe South America. Or yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe it was, there was just, there was a period of time where, where essentially all you could eat was chicken. Or baked chicken, roasted one, chicken. One town in, in Peru, we were with Philip and Tina, and there were 10 restaurants. They all served rotisserie chicken. Yeah. And that was with, and French fries. Bad French fries, too. <laughs> Did I hear uh, correctly that in Peru, guinea pig is a something it, it, yeah it is a um a delicacy and they do yeah. they raise it a lot of the farmers will will have a pen of 10 or 20 of them and then they take them into the market and and they they this is kind of you know <laughs> they they skin them 
and then put them on a rotisserie and cook them right there in the market because it's a delicacy and they can sell it at a premium. And, you know, for a, for a traveler who's, who's not quite ready for that experience, whether you eat it or not, this, you know, seeing the, the guinea pig rotate, rotating on the spit yeah. <laughs> with a pile of charcoal below it, you think, oh, my God. Yeah, especially, if you, you know, if you've had guinea pigs as pets as a kid, you know, it's hard right. to eat. I tried a little teeny piece of it because Philip had it one yeah, day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't, yeah. I mean, I... Tastes like chicken. And there's not a lot of meat. There's not a lot of meat on it, really. You're doing a lot of picking at yeah. bones. It's a bit like having um Cornish game hen, you know, where you you they look really cute, but there's it's kind of not worth the worth the effort to get the meat off. Right. Actually, I wanted to go a little bit further into the food. What was you know, you've been so many places. What was your favorite um dish? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> you know, you have to it, it's a great question because the answer is where do you want to go? What's the country? Because, right. you know, if you go to Thailand, favorite dish has to be for us is probably rolling up to some random roadside food stall. At the end of the day, you're famished. Mm-hmm. No one in the restaurant speaks um, English, but somehow you commit, convince grandma to cook you something. And she brings out a plate. It's probably chicken, but the spice and the flavors. So incredible. Wow. Um, when you travel to Thailand or any country that's foreign, learn how to say thank you, hello, and delicious. Mm, because yeah. when you say delicious, delicious to grandma, even if the food isn't delicious, you know, <laughs> suddenly the family photos come out. They're sitting with you at the table. Everybody's smiling and laughing. Uh, so um, cool. So that's not even the food, right? That's just the experience, experience of the food. Yeah, right. in, in Turkey, uh, mm-hmm. you have to have lamajun. You know, lamajun is, is basically bar pizza um, with fresh herbs thrown on top. And when you first go to Turkey, you won't you won't find it on the restaurants that tourists go to because it's not fancy food. It's not famous right. Turkish food. But, you know, if you can go to the little side cafe where the normal people eat, you'll have a lamajun and they will buy you a chai or a tea because they do that everywhere in Turkey. <laughs> right. And and you're eating ordinary food and suddenly there's no women. It's all men in there with their scarves um, standing around you and sharing your story. So the food is amazing, but it's the experience you get from chasing local food, I think. Almost every country, there was something that we we loved. You know, the empanadas when you get to um, Argentina. Argentina, yeah. Right. I'm surprised yeah. that you didn't say egg and bacon rolls. Well, I mean, that's a given, I guess. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> we, all, we, always, we, sorry, we always assume people know that egg and bacon rolls are always at the top of the list. Right. Is, <laughs> is a egg and bacon roll or a bacon, bacon and egg roll? Bacon and egg roll, yeah. We also, <laughs> it depends on what state you're from in Australia. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, I saw your, your post on the comparing the linguistics of that, yeah. um, which I guess is another interesting question because for most of my life, you guys have been living in Australia. So um, I've noticed all the little Australian isms yeah. <laughs> that you guys use that have seeped into your language and yeah um i i don't know what have you noticed as far as like the linguistics and like the the Aussie-isms. shifting of your accents and and the link the like the language that you use and how that's changed based on where you are at the time how much time you spent in a different place like just how how your language is impacted by the experiences you've had i think it's it's funny because you you forget where you're at sometimes, and mm-hmm. it's not the—it's not a foreign word. It's often an English word that has the wrong contextual meaning that or throws different, yeah. a different meaning, throws yeah. someone off. I mean, even on this last trip in Cycle Oregon, we were working with the the coffee crew. There'd be times when I would say something, and I'd realize, oh wait, that's an Australian way of saying it. Just the word, 
and the person would be polite and smile. Generally, people right. don't want don't want to look silly when they don't understand you, right? They heard it, but they don't have any idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, so it's just and then and, you know, it's hard to even remember the moment because they happen so often for us. I think it was in, in Australia it was it wasn't so much the beginning because I guess we went there in '99 and the U.S. was still uh, admired an admired country <laughs> abroad, right? But as it became later, when things have changed a little bit, I'm, unfortunately it's a bit sad. But I think the U.S. is not quite held in the same level of esteem as it used to be. Yeah. For me, when I was talking to someone, I didn't want it always to be oh, I, so identified right off. Oh, she's she's an American, right? Right. And maybe I changed my tone or my accent a bit more people you often would say that they knew dave was american right off because his accent was heavier is what they'd say but they didn't know for me like i had someone ask me if i was irish when i was there yeah um which was kind of i mean i didn't think i sounded irish at all right but it was my my accent changed a lot more than Dave's did when, when we when we were there long enough yeah but it you know it comes and goes i guess now now we'll go back it will sound probably heavily American again, because we've yeah. been here long enough for it to switch back again. But they're still saying, I mean, one of when I first went to the office in Australia, I remember someone saying to me, hey, Dave, how you going? And honestly, at the time, I thought, how you going? I, I just got here. <laughs> and I seriously had that thought. Or we, right. I worked in London for a few years, and in, in England, they always, the, the greeting there is, Dave, you all right? And I, you know, yeah. it took me six months to be able to say, yeah, I'm fine. Do, do, do I look bad? <laughs> and what I'm supposed to say is, no, Sally, you all right? Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not, and it's just little things like that in the language catch, catch you out every day. And especially for us, because we can't remember where, was that an American word or is that a, yeah. a saying yeah. or is that an Australian saying that I just confused the person? Yeah. And like you said, it, it really is kind of the contextual because it's not like we don't say, are you all right? But yeah. we think of it more as like a expressing concern. Yeah. Whereas in London, it's just a, it's like, hey, what's up? You're yeah, up? yeah, exactly. Yeah. And no one really yeah. wants to know if you're all right or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's kind of universal. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. in the stores in the States, you know, someone asks you, how are you? They, they don't want to know how you're really doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're acknowledging your presence. You say, yeah. I'm yeah. well, how are you? Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. And you move on. Yeah. 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 I was wondering, do you guys keep track of how many countries you've been to? I was kind of looking at your, from your blog, it looked like it's at least 40, but I was wondering if you know the exact number. Well, you know, this is where being a computer nerd sometimes pays off. I keep track of every country we've been to and ridden in. And I'll tell you, I've got it. Um, give me one second. I've got a spreadsheet. Ooh, I love a spreadsheet. Uh, Nancy has been to 51 countries, 47 by bike. And I've been to 54 countries and 47 by bike. Now, we're not trying to... We have some friends that we met through one of these long-distance um, interactions that we talked about earlier. Right. But their goal is to be the first couple to bicycle travel in every country. We don't wow. really... I keep track of it, but I'm not ticking off countries for the sake of ticking off countries. It's more, um, it was just a curiosity. Someone asked yeah. me one day, I said, well, I better write it down. Um, <laughs> we don't, you know, we'll go to places we've been to before because we want right. to go there again. We're not exclusively saying let's go this way because um, we want to tick off the country list. That's really not the objective. It's sure. more about the experiences. And like, we've both been to Japan, but our next big trip, I think, is if we can ever get there, if the borders ever open, we really want to ride Japan from the top to bottom, which would be about three or four months. Um, 
Nancy speaks. Nancy speaks Japanese. I don't, but um, no, I, don't. So I, don't, already, I don't speak Japanese. I'm learning Japanese. <laughs> if we were chasing, but if we were chasing countries, we wouldn't go to Japan because we already got that. But still, I, that's a massive achievement. Yeah, I was going to say a, achievement accomplishment. I know it's something like for, I mean, I know I, I want to see as much as I can before um, time's up. And it's you know, really inspiring to hear about all your stories and um, how many places you guys have managed to go and see and the experiences that you've had. Because um, it's possible that yeah. you can do those things. Because sometimes when you're kind of stuck in a smaller town, like the idea of getting out and seeing that much of the world seems impossible. It's not. And it's far more doable with the right preparation and with the right encouragement. It's just amazing that you guys have been to so many places. It's really well, I, think, I think that's um, one one point is, yeah, you, you can find a lot of reasons not to go, not to go mm -hmm. see the world. And, you know, we're, we are grateful that the guy in the Outback Roadhouse is there serving his bad food because we needed to eat on that day. Right. Uh, we're glad that he didn't decide to, you know, up stakes and go to India for a month and find himself. So <laughs> you do need the world to kind of exist yeah. Um, around in order for us to, I mean, travel can be viewed as gratuitous if you think of it that way. Yeah. But is it, at a personal level, there's a thousand reasons to not travel. You know, I, I don't want to go. I don't have enough money. What about insurance? Um, my parents, my my cat, whatever it is, there's a thousand reasons not to go. Um, and those reasons often stop almost everybody because yeah. they do. And, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. I'm like I said, I'm glad that guy was in the outback. A roadhouse so that we could eat that day but if, if you make your own choices you know you can and, and you sacrifice a little bit you can do a lot of amazing things it's it's not that hard right. yeah known is very scary the more you speak to people who have experienced those things the less scary it gets yeah yeah exactly yeah or if you go and do a little travel you'll know i mean but that's that's the thing i think we were talking earlier about you know people being afraid of the people in the next town over. Mm -hmm. Once you start to go to the next town over or to, you know, I don't know how many times I've, we had people when we say we're going through Mexico or Central America, people go, oh gosh, you know, be careful. That's so, you know, that's so dangerous. Watch out. Wasn't that really scary? You know, you get kidnapped. Yeah, there's. I mean, of course, there's bad people everywhere, but there's good people everywhere too. There's as many bad people in the U.S. as there are bad people in Honduras or whatever. You know, it's just that. Once you go to those places and you go to several of those places, you realize it's okay, right? There are those places are just as safe and just as dangerous as places in the US, right? And 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 you see that over and over and over and over. Yeah. And so, so then you realize those places are just like the places here. They're no different. Maybe they speak a different language and maybe they look a little bit different than us. And maybe they eat different food than us. But really they're fundamentally they're the same people just trying to get by and having a life just like we're having a life. Yeah. Speaking of the danger aspect, I, a memory that always stands out for me is when I decided to go on Rotary Youth Exchange and we went to the first sort of intro orientation before we left and all the parents came with us and uh, the Rotarians stood up and they said, okay, parents, um, we're going to list off some stats and you tell us if you would let your kid go to this country. And they start listing off like, oh, it's one of the top countries in the world for gun violence. Um, mm -hmm. It's one of the top countries in the world for death by automobile accident. It's one of the top countries, like all of these different, you know, like scary, dangerous things. And all the parents in the audience are like, nope, no way my kid is going there. Not ever. Mm -hmm. No way. No how. And then there are parents are like, well, it's the United States of America. So yeah. you're already there. Yeah. 
And I can remember I can remember having a conversation with someone who worked in the law firm I worked at in Sydney, talking about where she was, you know, she was gonna go holiday and um and she said um she was she wouldn't go to the US, she was afraid to go there. Right. And that, I think that was the first time I ever really it really sunk in that yeah. people people viewed the US as a dangerous place. You know, it just was it was a weird sensation thinking, wow. People, yeah. I'm from there. It's, I'm from it's there. Not people, are, people are afraid to go there. Yeah. It's just, it just a really odd sensation. But then you realize, well, you know, it's no different than. There's good and bad people yeah. everywhere. If you listen to perspective, it's really all the same everywhere. We were on our way to Thailand in, I think it was 2011. And Thailand was flooded. If you watch the international news, there wasn't an inch of Thailand soil that wasn't under 10 feet of yeah. water. Yeah. Well, we get there and it was a bit inconvenient there were some places that were flooded and tragically some people had died or drowned in some of the flooding but we had really almost we had a one or two days delay where one river was a little bit high but on the ground it really wasn't anything like what you were seeing on the international news right. and the international news doesn't report um they report things that they're they're gonna that are sensational right yeah. so they focus on the one river that overflowed that that was tragic and it caused all yeah. these problems, but the rest of the country is fine. And that's probably, yeah. that's probably true everywhere you go. If you, if you just base your travel on what CNN tells you, uh, you'll right. never go anywhere. Uh -huh. Yeah. It's like, it's not news that nothing happened. Yeah. Exactly. It's not exactly. news that everyone's fine. It's yeah. news that these people died in this situation. Yeah. And, so that's and that's tragic. I don't mean to minimize, if, you know, if that's your family member, I don't mean to minimize it. And, yeah. And, oh, of course know. not. Yeah, but but it, it isn't as bad as it seems. Um, yeah, because it's not newsworthy if it's good. I was wondering, what's the strangest place you've slept? Because um, there was like that one birdhouse that you slept in, and I, I don't know how to pronounce that, Gyra. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I was that the strangest place you slept, or was there something stranger? Well, it's funny. We read that question, and both of us had kind of had different memories. And what ends up being the weirdest is sometimes the weirdest you stayed in recently, right? Right. So, um, but there were people around at that birdhouse. The birdhouse. There was people around. Yeah, yeah. we um, we stayed in an abandoned motel in um, in, in Argentina. I think <laughs> there were, in Argentina along the way. There's. There's several places where cyclists are kind of in their kind of known cyclist camping spots because you're out. I mean, there's huge expanses of nothingness. Right. So, and the wind blows. So, there's these old abandoned um, buildings that cyclists have kind of um, identified as places to, to stay um, if you're out, out there. So, one of them, a famous one, is called the Pink House, where lots of cyclists on this route um, mm -hmm. stay. And so in every, and it's an old abandoned, I think it was, it was a restaurant, restaurant yeah. And there's a building next to it, but everyone, all the cyclists know the pink house and people stay there and people write their name on the wall. And oh. so that's kind of iconic, that place. Right. We stayed there. And then, but the, I think the one that I remember being is the weirdest and a bit, a bit more sketchy was this abandoned hotel, a motel kind of, it was orange team again. And it was kind of off the road, and there was a wire, a wire um, fence he had to get through, or had been broken, yeah. or something. I don't know. Everything was broken. Yeah, but clearly people had stayed there. I mean, right. like, in, like in the U.S., you'd probably never do this. Right? We were as we were riding in Cycle Oregon this week, we'd see these old abandoned houses, and we both think, 
well, that would be a place to camp overnight if you needed <laughs> we had to do that here because you, you know, maybe you get shot or something. I don't know, but <laughs> down there, it seemed. It's the only way you can go between A and B. It's just too far to right. ride. So, so we, st we stayed in that old abandoned motel, which was. Half, maybe a couple of the rooms had sort of been swept. Half the building was falling down and it was super was windy. So it the, had this metal roof that was just all night with every breeze or gust. Bang, 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 bang squeak, bang, 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 squeak. And you know, I think this is the life. We're, we're living the dream. Actually, right? we stayed the, the night before, the last night before we got to Ushuaia, I think we stayed in, a, in an abandoned chalet. Yeah, on this beautiful lake. Uh, there was obviously some big story to this development that didn't, didn't work out, but right. had all these chalets on this lake. It had been abandoned long enough that they all been broken into and anything that was of value had been torn out of them. But people, not just cyclists, but people from the surrounding towns would go there and camp, have a picnic <laughs> or stay and stuff. And we, so we stayed in one of those chalets one night. There's no wow. running water. There's no toilets. There's but no it was bathrooms. very funny because no the, next, the next, that afternoon, oh, yeah. we met this young couple came and were kind of barbecuing next to in us. In the chalet next to us. Yeah. yeah. And, and they were kind of scary because they were well, foreigners we, and we were a little nervous. Who are they? And we kind of poked our head out the, the wood plywood that was covering our door to see. <laughs> and they were so excited to see us. And they were the nicest couple. Young couple. They shared their barbecue oh. with us. And they and, had two little dog, two little white dogs that they were carrying around. They were just oh, the cutest oh, little couple from a town that was about an hour's drive away. And then so they would come there to have, you know, have a day off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was and so they share, yeah, they shared their food with us, and here, here we are thinking bandits, and we end up with a. a <laughs> That's great. Yeah. yeah, it was fun. So this, if, where you stay, if, if you have people there, that hotel that we stayed at, there was no people, and it was just the right. wind, and that was kind of scary. But yeah, when you when you meet other people, it makes it feel like, hey, this is okay. We're not completely it's crazy. Yeah, you're, you're not, not you're kind of the only ones there. If we really need help, somebody will help us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if there's someone around, it feels a little bit better. Yeah, but, but travel in Latin America, especially when you leave the tourist trail, you're often staying in small towns, and the um, and the facilities are really lacking, or by or, Western standards. Yeah. I mean, I, I I can remember one time I moved a toilet seat from one room to another because we wanted a toilet seat in ours, and only one one room in the hotel had a toilet seat, <laughs> and I moved it. I got my rubber gloves out and unscrewed it. And moved it and, oh, I mean, yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, that's you don't you. you you know, you don't even do that in a Motel 6, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm very curious about this birdhouse, though. Well, that was at, that was at a... Um, fairgrounds. A fairgrounds, yeah. Where, so in the, in the fairs in Australia, just like in the U.S., they'll have, a, they'll have different... They'll have the cow arena. They'll have the horse arena. They'll have the sheep. Mm. And they'll have a little facility built for all of them. Well, this is where they would... They had a lot of shelves, and they'd store all the pigeons or chickens or whatever for the fair. You know, people are bringing their birds in to show them off. And it looked like it was going to rain that night. So the, the the manager, the site supervisor said, well, you can sleep in the birdhouse if you want. And it wasn't, so that sounds odd, but it, it wasn't yeah. that bad. The worst part was it was, there was lots of bird droppings everywhere. So we ended, we ended up, the worst part of the night was we put, we took a couple of folding tables that were leaned up against the wall that were relatively clean yeah. and we put them on the ground. So we were sleeping on the wood on these tables and everything right. was really sort of creaky. Uh, that was the worst part. It wasn't the birds because there's no birds there, but it was, uh, right. yeah. But it was, yeah, you didn't want to breathe too deeply. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just, I remember I was reading that post and I was like, well, that's interesting. How did, 
it go with, I, I know at the beginning you said that um, the bush camping was really kind of, it, it was difficult figuring out where to set up camp and what would be a good location and all of that. And did that get easier as time went on? It depends on how remote you are. You know, if you're out in the, the Carretera Australia, the, the big highway that it's not highway, the, the route that goes from Santiago to the bottom of Chile is um, there's a lot of cyclists out there. There's a lot of people bush camping. So it's not that hard because it's sort of normal. Um, but if you're on the side of a um, an outback highway in Australia and all you have is road trains going by every night and there's no cover, there's no trees or anything, you're kind of scared to do it. So it depends on the location. You know, if it's sort of normal and expected for the road, if you or if you're really out in the middle of nowhere, it's it's um, it's easier to find. There's you know you don't have to get too fussy about where you're at. I guess to be out of view or anything. We didn't. I think did we do? We essentially we we mostly were in spots where other people had been. Yeah. Or I mean, around Australia, we did pull off sometimes. We that was mostly up north, and it's not it's not like those huge pockets of trees and stuff right you know, there. So there are no trees. <laughs> you're mo you're mostly in brush kind of. So the main thing is to try to get up a, a spot where you're not going to get too many sort of shelter. Yeah. You know, tent, tents, hike, hiking or camping tents almost always have some reflective tape on them for some reason. I don't know why they do that. Um, it's not like you're going to have a car driving up, but, but then if someone shines a flashlight, your direction, it catches their eyes. Just like we, you know, we were lucky our rain gear did with the Tasmanian devil. Mm -hmm. Well, your tents, you know, I don't quite get it because ultimately you're not moving in your tent very often. Maybe yeah. it's so you don't trip on it anyway. So you always want to get it away. So there's the source of light, the headlights from the road don't hit your tent. Because right. you know, you're trying to be stealth. Yeah, you don't want um, to attract attention. Yeah, it's exactly, probably it's yeah. probably illegal wherever you're doing it. It may not be, but you still don't want. You just want to have your peace and get through the night. And yeah. So it's hard to do that when there's no trees and there's nothing around. You kind of have to try to figure out some way to try to hide a little bit. I mean, it's not in Australia. It wasn't too bad. It wasn't the scariest thing. Was more about people seeing you. And like, and in the Alaska to Argentina trip. In particular, when we we're up north, and now you're work. Now it's more about bears, you know, right. about camping somewhere where you can get your food away. And gosh, did I get the toothpaste out of the thing? Or what else is in my toilet kit that they can smell? You know, you kind of. I do that all night, thinking, what was there a Cliff Bar in my bag that I didn't get out? You know, just yeah, because that's a that's a scary situation if you do end yeah. up attracting yeah. a bear we had bear bags and could tie our stuff to a tree but nancy's right you know did i leave something in my handlebar bag that right. i didn't get into the tree bag that they're going to want to come into the yeah. tent and we never did obviously we survived that and we never had a bear in our tent but that doesn't mean you're not going to think about it well, the two guys we we started off in, in in fairbanks with one of them i don't know like maybe the last two days or something or three days for some reason <laughs> He bought um, at the start a, a, a one pound bag of jerky, jerky, yeah. jerky in so, bear country. Yeah, oh, he never opened it because he was afraid that it would smell too much. Yeah. So, oh my god! So we got to the last couple of days, and it's like, well, I better open this. Right? I've got to eat it. Yeah. I can't take this pound of jerky. <laughs> we had this pound of jerky. We all had to eat, you know. Cause yeah. we and you can't put yourself in a bear-proof bag. And you know, right. if you eat jerky, it's coming out your mouth and your pores. And you know. yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. We really haven't eaten jerky since then, actually. And meanwhile, <laughs> the entire time you're carting around, and you're like, "Do I really want to be adding this pound to my <laughs> yeah. bike?" I don't, that I I don't know what he was thinking. Because oh, we went by some kind of iconic little um, meat 
prepare. Place. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. A, it's a famous place, and he wanted to buy smokehouse. Smokehouse. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it, it was fun. It was really it was one of those funny things you just remembered. It was a kick. He, he brings it out and sits it on top of his bike, and I think, what? <laughs> what are you doing? Why? Yeah. Um, we kind of dove into this a little bit earlier, but I wanted to come back to it just in case you had anything else to add. How do you plan for a trip with no particular end date or if you're not sure where the end date is going to be as far as financially, mentally preparing for that, logistically packing, all those different dynamics? Well, Nancy, as you would might expect, has a list that she gets out for all of our gear and equipment and, and tries to get me organized. Mm-hmm. Um, that works. Mostly. <laughs> Mostly that works. So we have equipment wise, we've done this enough now. We sort of have a system for, for getting. We, we have an equipment list that which we, which I adjust as we go along. If we find, you know, find something we should have had, it would have been good to have. I add it to it or stuff that we don't. And we have, we kind of cross things off. If it's, if it's for hiking or for camping or biking or whatever, it's right. good just to have something to go through and say, okay, do I have that? Do I have that? Do I have that? And then I would say the clothing, Dave laughs at me, but I always kind of agonize over what what clothing to take. You never know whether you're going to run into, but it, it actually almost always ends up that, you know, I wear half of what I take. Like with respect to clothing, I would say, just make sure you have stuff to keep you warm and from, you know, and, and safe from the rain. Yeah. And, and then it doesn't really matter because, you know, especially if you're traveling, you're not going to see the same people very often over and over. So it, it doesn't matter if you're wearing the same thing all the time. And they're probably wearing the same thing anyway. So it doesn't really matter. And the less stuff you have, less, you know, crap there is to pack every day. And yeah, it just makes it so much easier. And I, I, I would say in terms of an itinerary, if, if you don't, it's good to have an idea of the countries you want to see. And, and the biggest thing probably is to pick some countries that you could, you think you can get to and th- think about the things in those countries that you want to see. So and at least then, before, when you go there, you have some idea about where the highlights are in the country. And so you can kind of make a, a path that gets you to those, those highlights. I mean, you, you often get diverted to something else because someone will say, someone local will say, oh, you should really see this. And, you know, you can take that advice. Yeah. But if you know the specific couple items in a particular country that you want to see you have at least have some kind of skeleton of a of an agenda of an itinerary something to help you be satisfied yeah having said that i think you know if you go to paris you do have to go to the eiffel tower but also you know have a day where you just walk around montmartre and check out the cafes and you have no schedule Mm -hmm. because both of those are going to be great experiences one you can't read about or see pictures of in a tour book because yeah. you don't know what it's going to be, you know, throw yourself at the whims of the locals. Um, yeah. And I think if you try to schedule every minute of every trip and see all the iconic spots, you're yeah. going to miss those serendipitous uh, moments where, you know, you figure out what Lamajun is because you're in a dive bar in, you know, Cappadocia, Turkey yeah. or wherever, you know, I think that's, make sure you have time for both. For us, particularly as, as bike travelers, you have to get over and, and not feel bad about not seeing all the famous places in a particular country. Cause you just, you can't necessarily get to them all, but you, you get just as much from seeing the places that you, you are seeing and interacting with people you are interacting with as, as you will from, you know, hitting all the big spots. Don't, don't get caught up in feeling like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to Turkey. Therefore I have to go, I have to go to all these famous places because then you're just yeah. going to get stressed about getting to all those places rather than enjoying where you're at. at the time. Yeah. 
it, it turns into like a, a race or yeah. like science yeah. rather it's than as fun as that. it turns into work as opposed to yeah and that's that defeats the whole purpose of of going of, of going yeah, yeah. Right. we went to machu picchu and i i sort of toss it back and forth, whether Machu Picchu or the little local hotel that was just opening for the first night where we stayed, which is the more memorable experience. Yeah. You know, and, and Machu Picchu is in the tour book, but this hotel we found through a connection of a connection and it was sort of, you know, the first night they were ever open and they were so happy to have us. So you have different memories. If you just focus on the checklist, you'll probably miss out on some of the really cool stuff. Sure, sure. And I think that that happens a lot with, because not everyone can do long-term travel. And I think a lot yeah. of people just do a, a vacation, like a week-long vacation. Yeah. They kind of pack as much as they can into mm -hmm. that experience. They're like, oh, if I'm only going for a week, I have to do as much as I can. They come back from their vacation more exhausted than when they yeah, left. Exactly. Almost more yeah. stressed out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... Because they could leave that one monument that everyone said they had to go see. Yeah. 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 And that's, you know, that's the, dis that's the disadvantage of only having a week or a two week, whatever your holiday is, um, yeah. your vacation is. I mean, that's the, the beauty of long distance travel for our, from our perspective is you often don't know where you're going to go or what you're going to do. And that's, right. that's sort of the beauty of it. And I recognize that we're pretty lucky to be able to do that, but then, you know, life is full of choices and you can, do you want a really fancy car or do you want experiences? Do you want stuff or do you want experiences? And I think, you often don't think about that choice when you're buying that fancy new car or that new iPhone or whatever it is you're buying. Keep up with the Joneses. Uh -huh. But those are the, those are the really the, the the macro level. Those are trade offs you can make every day that really do make a difference. So if you if you stop and catch yourself, do I need five pairs of you know Converse All Stars or whatever it is yeah. that you do? Have? I need to buy the new iPhone every year. Yeah, no. exactly. Well, can yeah. I can I not do that? Put a little money in my travel fund and um, and make that one week trip, a three week trip where yeah. two of them weren't even scheduled where I'm just going to hang out and see what happens. And, and you never know. You never yeah. know. Or even, you know, do I need to stay in the five star hotel or do I stay in a hotel? That's the, I mean, that's the other piece, you know, yeah. I, I, my, my job took me all over Asia for business travel and I saw a lot of five star hotels and a lot of taxis and a lot of airports Mm -hmm. And I would drive in the taxi or a bus, you know, past a little food stall and think to myself, my God, I would never eat there. And yeah. suddenly you go to, you switch to bicycle travel and you have to eat at that food stall because it's the only one available. Right. And you're completely off the tourist trail. You know, the people that you're meeting don't think of you as a rolling cash machine because you're, you know, a business traveler in a suit who obviously has lots of money. Now you're yeah. almost down at ground level. You're a local. So um, seeing the world at, at a, just the tourist level is is interesting, but seeing it at a local level, and that's what bicycle travel does. Um, mm -hmm. And no other, I mean, I don't even think backpacking travel can do that because often backpacking travel, you're on a bus going from A to B. With bicycle travel, you have to get from A to B on your own. Sure. And you, and you have to stop somewhere in the middle. You have to stop somewhere in the middle, and that forces a local interaction that you couldn't predict how it was going to go before you didn't even know what's going to happen. And there you go. It's a completely different experience. Yeah. yeah. Bikes are better. Bikes are better. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll trust you on that one. I mean, I, I love the bike trips that I did with my parents growing up, but I, gosh, I cannot imagine doing the, the things that you guys have done. It's uh, just one, you think it's just one day at a time. It's not, you can't. Yeah. You think yeah. you think twenty months and continents top to bottom, and then you're overwhelmed. Yeah. You think, where am I going to go tomorrow? And it's pretty simple. I mean, it really is a remarkably simple way to travel that can be complex if you think about it too. I mean, I always had butterflies when we entered a new country, you know, all the way down. I was always 
nervous. But then you get through the first day and you realize, well, this is okay. I can, this is the same. I mean, I can work this out and it's going to be fine. And, and now I get to figure out, you know, what's, what's Nicaragua like? What, what are these old, old um, cities, you know, with all these historical arches and buildings and you know it's it's pretty cool actually to have to be able to see that yeah you know without having a tour guide running around you know yammering at you all the time about things and stop and have a a lemonade or a you can have your, your own yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's just it's a nice way to do it What are your top three tips for anyone who wants to undertake long-term or nomadic travel? Well, I'd say number one is planning and that, and planning is planning life, not just the trip. So you have to, you have to work out how you're going to do this and have a long-term, I mean, our, we, we started in 2010 to ride across Australia. We started planning for that in 2000. We bought the bikes 10 years in advance of that trip, and then started trying to work out how are we gonna manage this professionally? Cause we didn't wanna decapitate our careers yet. Um, right. You know, we had to think about what were you gonna do with your house? What are you gonna do with your cat? Cause you had a cat then, you know, all these things. Um, don't, don't let them stop you, but understand that the process to start a trip might take more than six weeks. It might take more than a year. It might take some, um, you know, if you're saving for it, it might take a number of years to be able to accomplish it and prepare yeah Yeah. and if you can't you can't look at it all in one big thing otherwise it feels way too overwhelming just pick pieces of it and say i'm going to focus on this right now once i get that settled i'll do this otherwise it's just it's some sometimes it seems too overwhelming my second tip would probably be have a goal i mean and, and this is back to we've done two really big trips one didn't have an end date the other one end destination the second one had an end destination and as nancy said earlier some of those days on the trip are really bad everything's gone wrong you're fighting with each other everything's not working you're stopping wet you have no worse day and you're, you want to go back to your if you don't have an end goal that says look i want to reach my destination that that end destination then sometimes you might just say i oh, forget it i'll stop my trip and mm-hmm. and i think we didn't. We finished our first big trip in Paris, which sounds crazy. I mean, in terms of that's a great place to finish and what an iconic destination. But we right. kind of wandered there and said, looked at each other and said, "Well, I guess we'll we'll fly home now." Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really as now that everybody's different. But for us, you know, coming from professional environments where we were always based, everything's based on goals and objectives, and having goals and objectives is important. Having a big picture, I want to go from A to B. Um, certainly, bicycle travel made it made it possible to get through those really tough days and made it easier to get through those tough days and made the good days even better. If that's two, what's another one? Um, I I would say when you're traveling, it's, it's okay. And I think it's important sometimes just take, take some time off, treat yourself somewhere because it does get, it gets tiring. It gets sometimes discouraging, depressing to be, you know, always staying at the not, not quite, you know, if you're trying to say it may not quite so nice place, you know, just always, find the cheapest place to eat or whatever it gets in wearing. So it's, it's, I think for, for us, it was important sometimes to say, we're going to treat ourselves to it. Like we're going to, this is going to be our vacation from this vacation. We need to just relax yeah. and not, not always be trying to save money everywhere. Let's just treat ourselves a little bit and have, have some time to refresh ourselves. So, so yeah. even, even if you're on a budget, give yourself some breathing space to just stop and, Re- refresh, relax, and re- re-energize yourself. 
And right. that's, we, we met guys, um, I remember Seth from Canada, mm-hmm. and he was on uh, 10 bucks a day traveling through the US and through Mexico. We were on a bigger budget than that, um, obviously. <laughs> but, um, you know, Seth found a way to do that by working in a hostel in Oaxaca. So he found a way to sort of recharge himself at his budgetary level. So it doesn't have to mean, well, sure. you know, I'm going to go stay at a resort on the beach for five days to get away from the hardness of this trip. Uh, you can do it different ways. You can do it within a budget still. Yeah. Uh, but you have to remember it is a, it's a long journey and there are going to be times when you need a break from the journey. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. It's not a failure that somehow you're not having the best time of your life, you know, a hundred percent of the time. It's okay to feel like this, this kind of sucks right now, you know, and cause we, we had lots of that ups and downs like that. And sometimes you just say, I just need a break. I need, I need to stop, figure out something every day. You know, where do I get this? Where do I get that? Just stop and relax. I think those are great tips. Yeah. <laughs> I have no questions. Those are all great. Yeah. I, 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 I can't imagine that both of you right now aren't thinking some of those thoughts yourself at different times, you know, cause you're oh, absolutely. You've already taken a little mini vacation <laughs> as it is. Yeah, that's really important to recognize when you need um, not let the pressure of, of other people or yourself say, make it that you feel like you have to be, that you're a failure if you're not, you're not just having the best time of your life and not enjoying it 100% of the time. Because clearly yeah. that, does, that doesn't happen that way. It's it doesn't happen. Life. Yeah, that's not life. And, and it yeah. doesn't, the fact that you're on this that you're overseas doesn't change that fact. It's yeah. still, you're still going to have days where you're thinking, Oh God, I just wish I was home. And you know, my mom was making me a cup of tea or something. You know, yeah. there's going to be days like that. We had, I, we had, I we had really a- wish that I'd, <laughs> somebody had told me that before I went on my exchange year. Cause that was like my first big foray into travel. And it was you know, a year long experience. And I, I had it in my head that it was just going to be this magical year yeah. from, you know, day one to day 365. Mm-hmm. And there were so many days where it was just life. Nothing special was happening. I went to school, I came home and I watched Netflix for yeah. four hours, you know? <laughs> and, um, and I always felt like I was failing somehow yeah. on those days when I didn't do anything special, you know? Yeah. And um, by the end of the year, I was kicking myself so much and feeling like I'd wasted my year when looking back on it now, it's like, I did some really, really cool, amazing things. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had a fantastic year and I had great host families and I, you know, made friends with kids in school and, you know, met these amazing people through the exchange program and got to do really cool, fantastic stuff. And, but at the time, like I, it really hit me hard because I really felt like I'd failed somehow. Yeah, yeah, I, I think and the other the other thing you did, Carson, was you did it right. You yeah. made it through the year, and I think I mean, that's that, so. Your A to B was the A is the beginning, and B is the end of the year. I'm going to finish this. I'm not going to yeah. pack my bags and go home halfway through. Yeah. And I think having that sort of goal really helps. It helps you get through those down days a little bit. I think that's that's where the danger of you know all the the media and um, everyone sells you know, this travel is you're going to have this magical experience. It's going to be every day is going to be beautiful. You're going to meet great people and do all these fun things. And it's just not that way. It's not that way for anybody, but, you know, and to be honest about that, to let people know that it's okay that 
you're not having the best time of your life every day. That's normal, but people don't hear that. So they think they think they're failing. I mean, I can remember when we got to Malaysia on that first trip and I was, you know, I was like, this sucks, right? Like we're in these dirty hotels and crappy food and my, you know, I kind of melt on thinking what, like we, we probably just started here already. I am, I want to go home, you know, and yeah. I'm thinking, this isn't right. This isn't like, I'm, what a, what a wussy I am. I want to go home already. <laughs> but, it, but it was, but it, then you just get through those days and it works out. Yeah. Okay. I got yeah. great memories afterwards, yeah. <laughs> but she was a wussy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, to close things out, I wanted to ask, um, cause in 2019 you posted on your blog, maybe Japan, maybe Europe again, obviously the pandemic put plans on hold, um, and caused a lot of chaos in the meantime. And I know earlier you mentioned maybe Japan, um, but do you have any plans, anything in the works for coming up? So we, we've actually got a route and everything picked out for Japan. We're, or that's, that's the next, the next trip. Um, so we're going to ride from the top island down to the bottom of the island. It'll only be about three months, probably. Um, only. 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 Um, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking. <laughs> but right now, um, we can't really do that yet because in Japan right now, you still have to have you have to have like a travel agent, and they've opened it a bit, a little bit. But I think you still have to have a tra travel agent book hotels for every night, which obviously we can't do yet. So. Right. We're hoping by next summer that that will have relaxed and allow us to do. It. I mean, one of the things about travel is you don't. For us, is the fun thing is about interacting with the people, and I don't. I don't want to go to Japan in particular, where people are sometimes a bit fearful of foreigners. Anyway, I don't want to go there when they're even more fearful of us, because because we won't get that that fun interaction with people. Experience, so, yeah. yeah. So we'll see what happens if we could do that. Maybe next August it was. I think it's end of July, August. We that that would be the I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah. the hope. Yeah, yeah, that's the next one. So after that, who knows? We we still have a lot of Europe we need to do or we'd like to do. Mm -hmm. I'd say. But the what pandemic is your list for Europe. Uh well, yes. I'd like <laughs> to spend some time in Spain. So so we have this deal. Like I'm studying Japanese because I studied in college and stuff. So that's the plan for for me for me to try to somehow carry the thing in Japan. But Dave is supposed to be studying. He's keeping up his Spanish, which he's not doing very good at. So I need I need to put a Spanish speaking country on the list so that he is forced to study Spanish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Spain, yeah. Spain, or I think and we haven't done much of Spain. We haven't done much of Italy. I think there's a lot we, of it. Barely scratched the surface of Portugal. Yeah. And it'd be fun. I'd really like to go from um, Marrakesh up through to Gibraltar, and um, so ride a little bit of Morocco. Yeah, we were gonna do we were gonna do that at the end of the Australia Europe trip, but we got burned out and ended up in Paris. I think we got right. stuck by weather. And yeah, we kind of got we didn't play the season, so we did. missed out on riding to into Morocco, which I think would be remarkable. So you know, yeah. the, the the only thing I would say to all of that is we had a number of friends that had their trips um, canceled or decapitated um, mid trip because of COVID. So. You know, you just don't know right now what the world's going to be. And if you have the opportunity, as you guys have, you know, seize yeah. the moment and go. Because next year, the, there might be a new pandemic that prevents anything from happening. Oh, know, let's when, hope not. Yeah, please yeah, go. Well, I'm, I'm hoping it'll be another 100 years before the next pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, who, who knows? But the, the point is, you, you know, if you can now financially, physically and emotionally, 
uh, and it's something you really want to do, well, then do it because you yeah. never know what's around the corner. That's great advice. Um, yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining us today and for all of your experience and wisdom. Um, it, this has been really, really great. And I think that there's a lot of really valuable content here. Looking forward to hearing it. So <laughs> send us the link. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll yeah, do. I just had to hear the first half, all the things I missed. Thank you so much. Um, it was really great to talk to you guys because it's yeah. been a while and hopefully yeah. um, I'll chat again soon. All okay. Right. Well, enjoy your time over there. Thank you so much. We will. Okay. It was so wonderful meeting you guys. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. All right. <laughs> Bye. 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 There's so much hype built up in like this foreign country, this foreign city of a new place that even if it's not like, you know, in a bad way, like, oh my gosh, Paris, what a magical place. Yeah. You almost expect to see like actual magic, like fairies and like unicorns running around. Like, cause some places are just described as so completely mystical and alien that when you get there, mm -hmm. you kind of expect to see that. Not to say that these places don't have their own mystical-like beauty and things are interesting to see, but they're all just people living their lives in their homes and in their cities going to their jobs. Yeah. I think one thing, I remember on my exchange year, when I got to Germany, I, you know, I'd spent the last six to nine months um, being prepared for my exchange year. Basically, they were going to tell me like, it's going to be different and you're going to have culture shock because it's going to be different. And I remember when I got there, the thing that shocked me the most was how similar things were, mm -hmm. you know, like, and that's something I brought up in the interview was that it's the slight differences because, you know, they have office supply stores and they have, uh, you know, supermarkets, still a supermarket. Um, they have, you know, all like, it's all the same stuff. There's still cafes. There's still ice cream places. There's, there's still, still McDonald's on the you know, corner. Yeah. The <laughs> school is still school, you know, like it's, it's the same stuff. All the kids get on the bus and go to school. Is it a school bus? No, it's a public bus, but you know, all the kids are on the same bus going to school because it's time to go to school. Like this is cause it's not your norm. It is still very normal. Yeah. It's still, and yeah. So that was the thing that really took me back was how similar it was, mm -hmm. but that almost made the culture shock worse in some ways, because again, while everything is more or less the same, everything is slightly different, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's just those slight differences. I mean, that's what you think about in like a lot of horror movies capitalize on it. When you have that uncanny valley, uncanny. Yeah. That's well, called that's that phenomenon is called the uncanny valley where mm -hmm. you see something that looks like what you know, but there's just some imperceivable small difference that's just not quite right that's unsettling. Yeah. And so that's definitely what I've experienced with traveling is that like that uncanniness that just it it kind of itches in the back of your brain. Like there's some it just it's it's the same thing, but it's not the same. Mm -hmm. And that can be really unsettling. I think that for me has been kind of the source of most of my culture shock, mm -hmm. not because things were so different, but because they're so, the so same. much the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we discussed this 
amongst ourselves is that one thing I was struggling with was the lack of wind here. Mm -hmm. Because where we grew up and even in, you know, living in Reno and stuff, there was plenty of wind. It just came about. That's part of life. And here there just really isn't much unless a storm's coming through. And even then it's, it's kind of cute. Like, oh, you think you're a breeze. How adorable. <laughs> yeah. And it it threw me off for a while. I kept, like, wanting to batten things down at night because, oh, well, at night it gets windy. It doesn't do that here. And so I yeah. kept expecting it, and it was really bizarre. I just thought that the overall, like, you know, a place can seem so foreign and alien to you, and then you get there, and you almost expect the people to look alien. Not just like, oh their clothes are a different style or they, you know, oh, this person wears a hijab or, you know, you see people wearing hats of their culture and faith or their skin color is different. I mean, like, you expect them to almost not quite look like people, Mm. but they do. They're human. They're just literally like you and me in every way. And I, every time I get off a plane in a new place, there's a part of me that thinks, okay, they're going to know I don't belong. And I'm different. Like, yes, I am. But that's not because of any necessarily outward appearance. That and I think it's funny how often people, like, don't know that. Yeah, not a clue. <laughs> not a single clue. The amount of times that people approach me, like, when I was in Germany, and I have very German heritage, so I look particularly of German descent. I had people pro- approach me in the street asking for directions. I don't speak German. <laughs> I just knew that that's what they were looking for. Or asking, you know, questions. They would just approach me with German. So I was like, oh, they can't tell that I don't belong here. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah. Well, like everyone here, I mean, they, I, yes. not, not necessarily if you go into some place that's populated by tourists. Yeah. But so, so often you walk in and they immediately, they start with Croatian. And then once they figure out that you have no idea what they're talking about, then they switch to English. But like, they don't. No, just by looking at you. like no. And I, for some reason, always thought that you just kind of could. Like, there was mm. just some kind of aura, a person, like, which doesn't make sense, because back home, I could never tell if someone was from the U.S. or not, or even mm. from Nevada or not. Yeah. I couldn't tell. So it, like, the that doesn't really click the way it ought to. And I think it's something that we're kind of taught in the U.S. That is, too. like, you know, you, you it's one of those societal things that you just sort of learn growing up that, like... Like, people are different when they're, you know, are from based on where they're from. Yeah. I know that was something that, like, I noticed a lot on my exchange here, particularly once my German got good, and I'd be hanging out with the exchange students and stuff, we would all be speaking German. Mm-hmm. And there would be these American tourists that would, like, you know, be talking crap about people <laughs> in English because they assumed no one around them could speak English. And meanwhile, me and my friends are sitting there like, I excuse you (laughs) like we can understand every word you're saying or else like we would catch german people doing it too that they thought that if we were speaking english they'd be like oh god the damn american tourists in german and we would be like uh bitte we're kind of do we're kind of never like we, we we understand what you're saying right um so like you know it's just it's it's funny like the assumptions that people make you Mm -hmm. know and then like realizing that they don't know like (laughs) and having all those assumptions and ideas challenged with each new like it really should have sunk in after my first trip to europe but like 
it still doesn't until mm-hmm. I'm there and I'm like, everyone is just people are just people. Yeah. They're just human beings going about their life. And at the end of the day, everybody, you know, they we share so much in common. Like, you know, people they go to work, they come home, they you know, they watch their their TV shows and stuff. Like Yeah, they have their small little hobbies that maybe their friends poke fun of them for. Everybody goes to the gym, you know, like <laughs> Yeah. Like everyone has all of those things. Yeah. It's great. We have so much in common, I think. And that's really cool. And I, I liked what Nancy was saying about like everybody sort of lives in their bubbles and like inside those bubbles things are more or less the same, but you can't really tell what's going on outside of your bubble. Right. You know? Have you ever read The Borrowers? I have not. I haven't either. I want to now. Yeah, she made it sound really interesting. Yes. I know. I felt I was like, oh man, I wish I'd read The Borrowers so I could really connect to that statement, but mm-hmm. um I really liked the way that they put like the difference of like how a person travels if they do the more touristy things and again nothing against doing the touristy things mm-hmm. but it's just a completely different experience than if you were to do it on a much more how do you put it a different level like, like a local level a local level like riding mm-hmm. the bikes or backpacking where you are very much in with the people and on the how, ground yeah how you have a, just a completely different experience i think that is also something really unique to traveling by bike right you know, in some cases, I was considered backpacking across Europe. Mm-hmm. I took trains. I didn't walk everywhere. That would have been crazy yeah. for me to do at 23 alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but I just, you know, I had me in my bag. Yeah. Um, and I tried to do a lot more. And I had low budget. And so I did a lot more of, like, the hostels and stuff like that. But I never worked in a hostel. I didn't walk to the next town to, like, and have to stop at some small street food vendor so i didn't get the kind of interactions that they had right which i think is you know something else that we don't really consider when talking about travel like traveling on that level where you're interacting with people to that extent you're you're really outside of you know the picture perfect like photoshopped Mm-hmm. you know, version of that place. The Instagram filtered. When you think per- about like Mexico, you know, right. the, the places where the cruise ships stop, mm-hmm. completely different than, you know, like the actual. Yeah, that's a shiny high city. gloss yeah. Mexico. They they polish it up and make it look the way that tourists want it to look. And then as soon as you get kind of outside of that tourist bubble, mm-hmm. everything looks totally different and the experience is completely different. I'm sure the food is 10 times better there too. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Well, I have yeah. a friend who, um, she's living in Uruguay right now, and she posts a lot of things about, like, the actual experience of, oh, what I went through as a tourist versus how I'm experiencing things now that I live here. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I know where the tourist places are that I currently avoid because mm-hmm. it's not the real place. Yeah. I want to experience the real things. And, and it's true. I was meeting a friend uh, for coffee the other day here in Zagreb. And I passed by a whole ton of tourists at a very local touristy area. And I was just like, ugh, hang on, let me get around all these people to get yeah. to the, like, slightly more hidden cafe over here. Let me just go around all these shops. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I were only here for a week or so, I would absolutely be doing the complete touristy things. I wouldn't right. have time to enjoy the back alley and I wouldn't have the comfortability to do that either. And I think it's important to like note that the amount of time you have and 
like not doing a checklist all the time and trying to find some of the smaller hidden gems is important. Right. But also recognizing that as a tourist, especially if you don't know the language, you need to be on your best behavior, mm-hmm. be as polite as possible. Like he said, know how to say please, thank you, and delicious. Yeah. <laughs> and that is the best thing you can you can do. Which in Croatian? Ukushno. Ukushno. That's delicious. Ukushno. Yes, that's delicious. Molam yeah. is please, as well as you're welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kvala is thank you. Ta-da. We got those down. <laughs> we can do that much. Yay! <laughs> Just in time to move to a different country. I, the Italian is going to be easier than Croatian. Easier than Croatian, but it's still slow going. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just kind of funny to see that and know that I'm on this side of the experience for once. Yeah. I think there's a lot of different levels of it, too. I mean, even like my recent experience in Belgrade and I had to walk through six oh, miles of the city. I really got a very, very different view of it than... I would have if I'd just been in the tourist center because the tourist area, for one, it's really, really cool. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. And oh, and I'm sorry, nothing against tourist areas. I think they're still beautiful and very cool. And there's a reason that they're tourist areas. Right. You know, like, I mean, obviously, everyone wants to see the Eiffel Tower because it's the Eiffel Tower. And it's beautiful. <laughs> you should go see the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. 10 10 would recommend. 100%. But the, the like, old, ancient castle on the hill area in mm-hmm. Belgrade. Um, and the like shopping district there, it's beautiful. It's really cool. It's well worth visiting. But I also walked through like these business complexes that were shiny and beautiful and like looked like something that you would see in like, I don't know, Santa Barbara, you know, Mm -hmm. something I never would have expected to see in Serbia. And I, part of that is just because I internalized biases, but then, you know, just like all of the different, I got to see a lot of different neighborhoods because mm-hmm. I walked through a lot of different neighborhoods. Because you walked through um, them all. <laughs> and I, I never felt unsafe, which I thought was cool. Also, like, I got to see a lot of just the country and what it was like in the non-touristy areas. And I was kind of fascinated because it wasn't anything like I expected it to be. There's also different levels of living somewhere, too, because I think what we're doing is different than, at least I've noticed differences than when I was on my exchange year and I was living with host families who had lived there their entire lives and going to a local school with local students and making local friends and, you know, all of that. It feels different to me than what we're doing now. Right. Because I think I had more of an in and I was really sort of immediately integrated into the community there um, because I was just plopped in with people who already had these relationships with, you know, like the teachers and the and the neighbors and the you know, people in the shops would like know my host on my name. And so you have like this really, really deep connection with the place because you have the benefit of people who have that deep connection already built in. Mm-hmm. Whereas like we're kind of trying to learn from scratch and learn by ourselves, which we're still getting a much deeper view of the place than we would if we were just tourists. Right. But I still, I don't feel as close and connected and deep and on the ground mm-hmm. as I did during my exchange year. Right. So I think that there's there's a lot of different ways, you mm-hmm. know, at different levels and different like Oh, absolutely. It's not necessarily time, it's not necessarily like I don't I think there's a lot of different aspects that go into that. Right. I mean, I you know, only have my past experiences which were nowhere near as um deep as yours. Mm-hmm. I was only ever in, you know, a new place for a couple of days. 
because I was just traveling. Mm-hmm. Even though, I, you know, even when I was here for a month, I was only in a couple places for a few days as I went about. Yeah. So I didn't get the chance to to explore at my leisure without, you know, saying, okay, well, uh, today is, you know, see these three things or I may never see them. Yeah. Um, and also learning how to be okay with that. Yeah. Like there are some things in Paris I never got the chance to see. And I've been there twice. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Because I still got to be in Paris. I've walked from one end of Paris to the other. And that was pretty great. Right. Yeah, hard on my feet, but it was really great. <laughs> when we were kind of talking about that with Dave and Nancy, too, was not punishing yourself for not meeting the checklist. Not meeting the checklist or not meeting the expectations or like for I mean, living your life, and especially with long-term travel. Mm-hmm. This is life now. Yeah. It's not just a quick trip. It's life. And with life, there's always going to be slow days. Mm-hmm. There's going to be bad you, days. you got to clean and do your laundry. Yeah. And that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And yeah, I I think that that's really important. Especially with the amount of people who have asked like, oh my gosh, what have you done today? What did you do this week? (laughs) I'm like, nothing. Yeah. My my sister's like, oh my gosh, what did you do this week? I'm like, we've been here for two months. I didn't do much of anything. I didn't even go hang out with the friends that we've made because I kind of just wanted to be alone. Yeah. And I... I don't know, dawdled around the house and enjoyed just some downtime. I did some work. I did some chores. Um, I don't know. Just lived my life here is what I did. Yeah. And have you guys done anything exciting? Well, no, we've been living our lives. Exactly. Same. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think it's different. I'm seeing a new side of things that I haven't before because I've never spent this long in a new new place. Yeah. And I, I think that it's important to normalize that that aspect of travel that mm-hmm. like it isn't always the shiny Instagram pictures, you know, that that is a very, very small piece of it. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, when I went on exchange, I felt so ashamed whenever I wasn't making the most of my time, whenever I wasn't, you know, optimizing my, the opportunity that I had there. Yeah. And like, I mean, I really punished myself for it and it contributed a lot to like the mental health issues that I had Mm -hmm. um, because I felt like I'd failed somehow at the one thing that I'd wanted most in the world, at the one goal that I'd had longer than any other goal. I mean, I'd wanted to be a Rotary Rotary Youth Exchange student since I was six years old. Right. It was my life's dream. And when I went and I felt like I was failing at it, it hit me really, really hard. Mm -hmm. You know, I, n- nobody told me that that was okay, that it didn't have to be perfect or that like I didn't have to be on it every single day. So I, I felt so ashamed just for being human and needing a day off now and then, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it like, so I think it's important that we send that message that right. it is okay to not be on it all the time. And even if you're going for a short trip, like I was in Belgrade for two full days. I had my travel there day, my travel away day, and then my two full days there. Mm-hmm. But like that six mile walk in the pouring rain. I mean, by the time I got there, I'd only gotten five hours of sleep the night before. Um, I had again walked six six miles in three hours. I was sobbing wet. I hadn't eaten all day, and I the next day I was like. I am sleeping in, and I I slept in. I stayed in bed until two o'clock in the afternoon. Because that's what I needed, you know? Right. And and yeah, I only had two days in Belgrade. And part of me was like, I should go see everything I possibly can and be go, 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 go the entire time I'm here. But then I was like, I don't want to do that, though. That's 
not going to make me happy right now. And at the end of the day, it was my trip, my vacation. If I want to go back, I can. Mm -hmm. Like, there's nothing to stop me from going back at some point in the future. Right. And I do want to because it was a gorgeous city. I want to see more of it. Yeah. Oh, wait. And I definitely experienced that same thing on my month because I only had a couple of days in each city. And I went to seven or eight cities, you know, all across Europe. So, like, I did a lot of traveling. And it was very much a go, go, go. You're here to see things. Especially because I never knew if I could ever have the opportunity to come back. Made it. Woohoo. Point to mm-hmm. me. <laughs> but I was just going nonstop. Guess what, guys? If you don't stop, your body will make you. Yeah. I got sick um, about two weeks in. I like just hit a point where my body said, hey, sunshine. You're going to take a nap now. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but I don't really have time. I only have two days here. And my body said, oh, too bad. And I had to spend almost an entire day in my bunk bed in my 15-bed hostel mm-hmm. with the sweet, very sweet host, like, offering me medicine. He was amazing. It was great. I still got to see some of Prague. But I was like, oh, I have not been prioritizing, like, my actual health. I've just been so concerned with seeing all that I can see while I'm here that I missed out on so much because I wasn't taking proper care of myself. Right. And I also felt really bad and was really upset with myself for getting sick, even though I couldn't control that necessarily. Yeah. And I bounced back relatively quickly and I continued with my trip. Yeah. But I want to go back to Prague because I missed out on something that, you know, I didn't get to see because I was sick Mm -hmm. because I ran myself into the ground. Yeah. So definitely, even when you have a short period of time, it's important to take your, you know, take care and listen to your body. You went through that entire ordeal. It would be insane for you to (laughs) not sleep in and take care of yourself that next day. Yeah. And I mean, part of the benefit of it too was that like, I, you know, I had a hotel room with a fluffy comforter and (laughs) like, you know, I got to enjoy that as well. Like having that, having the room to myself and the big bed and the like the fluffy comforter and the it was you know so that was part of that I was enjoying the room that I had mm-hmm. as well it, you, it depends on how you look at it which to be fair you paid for the room yes might as well enjoy it might as well enjoy my it my hostel was not particularly enjoyable because you know it was there were 15 bunk beds in one room it, yeah I mean you can only enjoy your twin size bed yeah with, surrounded by people so much um <laughs> yeah but you needed that because you were sick yeah i needed that because i was sick but mm-hmm. i just mean like there are different things to enjoy when you're on a vacation even when you're on a, a vacation from your vacation like right. what we're doing <laughs> yes yeah yeah Which, well like i said you know this is our life mm-hmm. yes it's we don't have a nine to five so we are kind of on vacation um but at the same time it's like we did make this choice as like a life shift choice mm-hmm. And so when you're here for this long, it's your, it's your life now. And so vacation from vacation, but it's really not. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I do know what you mean. <laughs> but I mean, like when we went down the split, we spent the entire week, you know, getting all the way down there to Rijeka, to Zadar. Finally, we hit split and you and I are both kind of like, I could we're really, tired. <laughs> I'm tired. I, I could really use just a day to decompress and hang out inside. And we did. We did. We did. And you know what? It was great it was because fabulous. it was the first time in months that we had a TV that we oh. could actually watch things on. <laughs> yeah, a big TV that we didn't have to, like, you know, huddle around the laptop to, like, yeah. 
my tiny that 13 was, inch laptop yeah, that we that was watch. fabulous we watched a couple of movies we drank mimosas yes we ordered in food like we just we did not leave and it was fabulous and i kind of wish we'd had one more day in split because i think we needed that mm-hmm. but i also split was great split was great i'd love to have spend more time recommend. actually exploring it yeah so which we almost did yeah. we almost caved and got like extended our trip but we things just couldn't work out for that yeah the problem was we had rented a car um and i could not figure out a way to extend the rental for a day because i thought it'd be really great if we could just extend it today but couldn't figure that out so we weren't able to but that's okay it's fine another time what's nice about this being you know kind of a lifestyle choice is that we are still in the vicinity Mm-hmm. We might be leaving Croatia, but we'll still be in South Italy, where they have ferries. Yes, all the time. Yeah, if we really want to, we can go back. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's lovely. Which is something you can't necessarily get when you're in the states. Is you can't just like pop out to you know. You drive eight hours and you're still in the same state. Oh, I mean, yes, it's nice to visit like a neighboring city or a neighboring state when you yeah. can, and like, oh, this area is really nice to visit. True. But you can't just, like, I don't know, pop into Italy for mm. a few days when you need a break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you want a complete shift in culture and food, you can't just drive a couple, you know, hours and suddenly you're in a new country where everything's different and you get to experience all new things. Yeah. Well, and also, I think the public transportation is an issue, too. That, too. Because getting to Serbia, yeah, it was a six-hour bus ride, but that bus ride only cost me 20 bucks. Yeah. So, like, why would I not go to Belgrade when it only cost me 20 bucks to get there? Yeah. Um, even though it is six hours, but I can do whatever I want during that six hours. Meanwhile, you know, it's not that I have to drive. From, like, driving from Reno to Vegas is seven, eight hours, depending on how fast you drive. And you have to drive. And, and you're driving. The gas and... costs, you know, an arm and a leg. Yeah. And so, like, there's just a million reasons where you're like, I wouldn't choose to do this would not in the be States. worthwhile yeah it's not that you can't you just it wouldn't, wouldn't make sense yeah and i know some people do i mean when you're you know i think on the east coast it's easier probably to get to new york or boston or philadelphia or dc or whatever mm-hmm. and so you might take the weekend trip well even it's easier to fly to europe from yeah. the east coast too so i don't know east coast people tell us what's up yeah write in let us know how you feel <laughs> Okay, I feel like we did a pretty good job here. I think we covered everything and more. Everything and more. And I now have like three three hours of material. So You're welcome. We are good at this game. We're so good at this game. All right, neighbors. Thanks for joining us today. If you heard something you liked, please support the show by hitting the subscribe button and reviewing us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find takeaways from today's show in the show notes, and you can find more information about the podcast and show notes for each episode on carsoncosta.com forward slash podcast. Please send us your questions, comments, and suggestions. You can email us at nto at carsoncosta.com or find us on Facebook at NTO pod. We would love to hear from you. We'll be back next week to keep making your world a little smaller.